this series, Now What? Kind of a reminder that as we embrace Christ and all that He has for us, it's a natural question to ask, now what? It's not simply enough to embrace Christ and His forgiveness and the redemption, but to continue in that path. And so last week, Andy was teaching and encouraging us that worship is not an event, it is a lifestyle, and everything that we engage in can, in fact, be an act of worship and honor to God. And this morning, we're going to be exploring this idea of prayer and Scripture. And I just want to say on the front end, as a disclaimer, there is no way to exhaustively touch on either of these topics in 25-ish minutes. And really, we could spend 12 weeks and not have exhausted them. But my hope is to plant some seeds and stir us up a little bit. So the word prayer, just that word probably stirs in most of us a lot of thoughts and maybe some anxieties and maybe some fears. And if you've been ever in a church setting where there's teaching on prayer, there's that risk is the talking head is going to say, now gather up with a small group of people and we're going to pray together. And some of you are like, oh, awesome. That sounds like a great idea. And some of you are like, I'm going to fake a stroke so that I don't have to pray with others. And not because you're allergic to others, but because the thought of praying out loud for whatever reasons provokes or evokes a lot of anxiety. I suspect because we believe prayer is like the Olympics that there's a right way and a wrong way to do it, and God must be the Russian judge at the Olympics, and he says that was a good prayer or that was a bad prayer. And so my hope is, rather than uncertainty or anxiety, there's a bit of a delight and an enthusiasm to be in conversation with God. So we're going to look at briefly, at least this morning, at Ephesians chapter 6. It's going to be up on the screen. I think it's already there, maybe. Oh, I love technology when it works. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the saints. Prayer is conversation. It's not performance. And as we look at these words given to us by the Spirit of God through Paul, it says, pray in the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit guides our prayers. How do we know that? Have you ever had this experience? You're just moving through an average day, and there's a name that just will not leave your head. And maybe it's somebody you've seen recently. Maybe it's somebody you haven't seen for 20 years. At least my experience is that's the Spirit saying, pray for them. And what a privilege to be able to intercede, which is a fancy word for praying to God, for someone else, knowing that that same exact thing is probably happening for us that others are lifting our name, our burdens, our season before the Heavenly Father. So pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Words matter. All occasions is a comprehensive label. All means all. You don't have to know Greek to know that that's what it means here in the Scriptures. And it says all kinds of prayers and requests. Sounds a bit like a conversation. Imagine yourself sitting with someone who is meaningful in your life, and you're having a conversation. There's an ebb and a flow to that. There might even be quiet moments, particularly if you're in a vehicle. We do not have to fill all the space with words. So could prayer, in fact, be moments where there's stillness and quiet, and moments where we're screaming and crying out to God, and maybe moments where we're giggling? 
I think God's pretty okay with a good giggle now and then. And I'm pretty sure he giggles at us because otherwise we'd just be a smoking hole in the ground, right? So all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests, be alert, pay attention, and always keep on praying for all of the saints. When the Bible uses this word saints, who is it talking about? Us. The people of God are referred to as saints. So exploring ways and postures to pray is communication and conversation with God. I always feel a little bit of a risk when I talk about these things because somebody's going to go, hey, Rick, how, how do you pray? I do not want to give anyone the recipe because prayer is not designed or intended to be a recipe. Now, there's some great models out there, ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Supplication is a really fancy word for asking. But whatever that is in your head, if that's helpful, great. If it becomes the report card on whether that was good prayer or bad prayer, please let's push that aside because that holds us hostage. There is no magical recipe for how we are to pray. And it is, I hope, something that sticks in your head that it is not a recipe, it's more conversational than anything else. Now, conversations are influenced by mood and tone and our season and our struggles. Can't prayer be that same thing? Go back, maybe read through the Psalms. We see David all over the map, much like us. And much of that was the way he approached God. So if we had time this morning, we don't, I would say turn to somebody near you. Some of you would have to move and talk a little bit about this. We're not going to do that right now. Take a deep breath. But my hope is before the day is over, you maybe let this be a source of some meaningful conversation and potentially even praying together. Much of the data on marriage suggests couples who pray together have a very, very low rate of divorce. So if you want the secret sauce in marriage, pray together. Now, no shady prayers, because I don't know if you've ever done this, is you're praying with your significant other, and it's, Lord, would you just help them not be so pig-headed? And you will get punched while you are praying. And so no, no shady prayers in that. So I, I hope to stir you to pursue more and more this practice of prayer just moving through your day. And it probably looks pretty ADD. And um, we live on two acres, so most mornings, even if it's raining, I try and walk. It takes me 15 to 20 minutes, and it is ADD prayer. Hey, God, wow, that was cool. I don't pray with my eyes closed when I'm walking. That would go badly. God, you're so awesome, and that's great. Ah, I got to change oil in a truck. And I don't think God is offended by that. It's just how we're wired. So letting that become a part of the rhythm of our lives. So rather than teaching you a bunch about prayer, I'm just going to encourage you to do more and more of that conversationally, ADD, God is not the Russian judge in the Olympics. So prayer is act one in this message. Scripture is act two. And there are Bibles. If we go to Barnes & Noble, I think people still go there. Anybody still go to Barnes & Noble? Amazon is way more convenient. But have you noticed two-day delivery doesn't really mean two-day delivery anymore? And they send it to you, and you're like a kid before Christmas, and then it says, arriving late. I've been a little murdery over that a couple of times. <laughs> 
apparently because it really matters what I'm getting. And so far, nothing I've ever purchased from Amazon has actually brought life to me. It's kind of fun, but it won't bring life. So there's Bibles. We can find the Bible on how to go fishing. We can find the Bible on how to grow flowers. We can find the Bible on everything. But for our discussion this morning, this is what we're talking about. The Word of God. The living, active Word of God. And it's so powerful for us to acknowledge what Scripture tells us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God and woman may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I'm a little bit of the, you know, psychobabble kind of guy, and my experience is somebody in this room just observed, he didn't look at his notes. It's in my notes in case I had forgotten. But that particular scripture was one I committed to memory in high school because we had a youth minister that was relentless about us memorizing scripture. There's a danger in that, though. We can get arrogant. Oh, I know scripture. This happens to me all the time in the office because people will go, you know that verse. (laughs) That is so maddening for both of us because I don't know all the verses. You may know somebody that knows all the verses. I used to have a preacher friend, not that we aren't friends anymore, I just haven't seen him in a while, that had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John committed to memory word for word. And you could say to him, hey, what's Matthew 7, 17 say? And he could tell you. I was a little jealous of that, probably coveting, which isn't a good thing, but it was in here for him. Now, in here only happens as we marinate in the Word of God. But real quickly, just a little bit of head knowledge. There are 66 books in this bigger book, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And if you ever wonder how to remember that, 39 and 27 equals 66. Why do those things stick in our head? I don't care. It's in my head. Multiple authors, hundreds of years. And you know what is so stinking incredible is they all point towards God. They all 100% point towards God. And there's poetry, and there's history, and there's allegory, and all of those things in there. Now, if you're reading in a different translation, what you're seeing on the screen this morning is from the 1984 copyright of the NIV. Why? Because that's what I've studied out a lot. I'm very comfortable with it. At any garage sale, if I find a 1984 version of the NIV, I buy it. And it's probably embarrassing. I probably have 20 of them. Um, And this one's getting pretty worn. But it's more expensive to get it rebound than it is to start over. I just don't want to start over. Am I telling you the 1984 version of the NIV is best? No. But it's the one I enjoy. Find the one that works for your head. Or if you have the YouVersion app, you can look at 40 of them all at once. And the value is it helps us process in different ways. Now, there are two things I want you to be aware of, is there are Bible translations, which means the alleged experts take the original text, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, all of that, and they try and turn it into English. That's not always an exact science, and that's why some translations will read with different words, some simply more modern. And then there's paraphrases where I could paraphrase this about 2 Timothy, hey, all scripture's from God. And it has incredible value, and we need to pay attention so we'll grow to be more like Christ. That's a paraphrase of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. There's nothing wrong with that, but we want to understand the scriptures in their entirety. 
Now, I would not recommend you go hang out in Leviticus a lot because all that will do is help you be really glad, glad we're not Jews under the law because there's so much heaviness there. But to be in the Word of God, to see that it has such incredible value, all Scripture, we don't get to pick and choose. Do you have favorite books of the Bible or favorite verses? Nothing wrong with that. But if it's to the exclusion of the bigger revealed Word of God, we need to pay attention to that. Thomas Jefferson, you may have heard there was a Jeffersonian Bible. That's not actually true. But he did take the Gospels and with a razor knife or whatever he had in those days, he did a cut and paste version of the Gospels because he didn't like the supernatural. Well, do we get to pick and choose a loose leaf or a pencil Bible? We'd all kind of like that at times. But the Word of God is given to us comprehensively, and God breathed it. Now, I wish I could explain 100% what that means. I don't really know, and I'm not sure anybody actually does. Was it like Paul was listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dictated it to Paul, and then Paul spoke it, and the scribe wrote it down? Maybe. Maybe it was all kinds of variations on that, but we still see Paul's personality in those. And textual critics get all wrapped around the axle over, did that sound like Paul? We don't 100% know because we can't talk to him. Wouldn't that be cool if we had like historical Google, you can just dial it up and go, hey, Paul, what were you thinking there? He goes, ah, this is what God said. We'll find out when we get there. But it's given to us for teaching. Don't we all need taught? about what it means to walk with God. And this second word I don't necessarily like because it's a little painful. It's given to us for rebuke. You probably cannot find the word rebuke in a Hallmark card. Now, don't everybody go over to Walmart and try and buy one and then ask me to pay for it because I'm not going to do that. But if you see it, take a screenshot. I would be intrigued if the word rebuke was in a Hallmark card. But we need rebuke at times because we walk in a direction that's not God's and then the word redirects us, gets us back in our lane. That's where God ought to sue for copyright. Stay in your own lane is actually right here. Rebuke moves us back into our lane. Correction, training, and then the outcome is righteousness. We will not be the reflection that, of God that we need to be if the word of God isn't a part of our daily practices and habits. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like for you. Psalm 119, verse 11, David writes these words, inspired by God, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have so much hidden in our hearts and minds. And how did that happen? Through pursuit and time and investment. I'm currently looking for a Toyota Tundra or Tacoma, and you don't care, but I care. And the danger is I may care too much. I've been reading about them. I know what years to not buy, blah, 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 blah. It's in here. It's annoying to my wife already, by the way, because we're driving down the road. I go, oh, there's a Tacoma or there's a Tundra. And she's like, she doesn't say anything, but the look on her face is, I don't care. It's in there because I'm paying attention to it. The word of God gets in here when we pay attention to it. And it's not a competition. It's not that we have to go every morning I read because what if that's just tedious or it's just a checklist? Gary Kless is one of our elders, and we were talking and praying last night. He says, he kind of leans over, I love Gary. And he goes, hey, sometimes 
I just find one or two words in God's word that just capture me. Now, if we have the checklist, you're supposed to read more than two words a day. Who made up the alleged checklist? Humans. So to be invited to spend time in this living word of God, to hide it in our hearts that we might not sin, because what does sin do to us? It damages us. In John chapter 8, it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. And in many modern translations, it says, Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. And what we tend to read in our heads is go and sin no more, you worthless blah, 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 which is not what Jesus said at all. And there's a paraphrase called the remedy. It's a medical model for the New Testament His idea on the end times, I think, is a little wonky. But John chapter 8, Jesus says, go and damage yourself no more. Isn't that much more tender? Because it's Jesus saying, when you live outside of my will for you, it damages you. If you're driving on the highway on all the rumble strips on the side, what does it do to your vehicle? It'll tear it up and annoys everyone else in the car. But to be realigned by the word of God and to see that mostly not as duty and obligation. Are there times when we're going to open the word because we know we are supposed to? Yeah. But I, I want to hope that that does not define us. And so the word of God being in us becomes incredibly vital. And I would suggest it's an indicator that we really want to know and be in a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. When we pursue friendships and relationships, we get to know that person to the point that we probably know some things to others are trivia. But when it comes to the Word of God, there's nothing in here that's trivia. There's some things that may not be meaningful to us, like how far you have to walk from the camp to relieve yourself. That's in Leviticus. Yeah, don't spend time there. But to come back to this, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And might we add that I might know life? (sighs) How refreshing that might be. So let me bottom line this for you. We have four kind of brief bottom lines. We means me because it's not your notes. And if you've seen mine, they're kind of messy. My wife said last night, how many versions of this sermon will you do? I said, honey, there's three services. There'll probably be three versions. Mostly it's the same. But first and foremost, prayer and reading God's word brings to us life. I mentioned Amazon earlier. I got nothing against Amazon. But the lie of it is, is you can purchase this and it will enhance your life. And maybe a motion light in my closet is a really cool thing, but it's not going to bring deep, lasting satisfaction to my soul. And when I'm dead and gone, it'll be in a garage sale or the trash or some version thereof. But prayer and reading God's word brings us back to the source. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life that is abundant or overflowing. Who wants to sign up for that? I would hope all of us. So as we pursue those patterns and habits of prayer and studying God's word, we can breathe again. And we're a culture that doesn't breathe very well. Ask me how I know that. Is this stupid Garmin watch tracks stress? And sometimes it goes, dude, you need to breathe. It doesn't say it just like that, but that's the message. I breathe easier when I'm in the word of God 
and it's in me. Second, the word of God and prayer will not always feel how we hope or want. For those of us in the room that have been married more than a minute, does it always feel like unicorns and rainbows? Ah, Caleb and Lauren are here somewhere this morning. I'm not meaning to call them out, but they're relatively newly married. This is not in the notes, just because I got to talk to them this morning. I said, hey, if you were going to write a book about marriage, now that you've been married a minute, what would the first chapter be? Caleb got some brownie points. It is the best thing ever. Isn't that awesome when you hear newlyweds go, it's the best thing ever. Well, maybe I ought to ask somebody in this room that's been married 50, 60, 70 years, hey, what's the best thing about being married? It'd be powerful if we heard those words, it's the best thing ever. But you might hear what you hear at our house occasionally. We're 35 years in. We're kids compared to some of you. But recently, the phrase in our house, do not tell Carol I said this. She might be watching right now. For better or worse, bite you in the butt. <laughs> now, if that's offensive to you, Andy J at southrock.cc, okay? <laughs> but prayer in Scripture isn't always going to feel yippy-skippy. There are going to be times where we have gut-wrenching prayers. When we're struggling, when we face a, a terrifying diagnosis, or when there's cutoff in our families, or when there's no money in the bank and the bills are this deep, prayer isn't going to feel like a trip to the park. It's going to be just these savage, raw places in us that we cry out to God. The Word of God, there are going to be times we open it and go, wow, that's phenomenal. And there are going to be times when we read it, we go, I know this is the Word of God, and it's super cool, but I didn't feel anything. Well, our feelings are a poor barometer of truth. Can I get an amen on that? So it's not always going to feel how we hope or want. Third, practices repeated become more natural and fluid. Play along with me this morning. Take your hands. No one else's. Put them together. Those of you who have your right thumb on top are no better than those who have their left on top. That's just a little psychobabble for you there. So take them apart and put them the opposite way. Did anybody just have like a mini seizure? Because you go, oh, that's weird. I do this all day, every day in the office, because it is a really powerful reminder of how our brains can adapt and change. My right thumb is always going to be on the top because I'm probably left brain dominant, which tells some of you something. Don't overanalyze that. But practices repeated become more natural and fluid. Being in the Word of God, being conversationally in prayer, the more we repeat that from a neuroscience standpoint, it creates a rich neural network in our minds. And it becomes more instinctual, more fluid. And one of these days, you might find yourself driving down the road, hopefully not with your hands together, your eyes bowed, and your eyes closed, praying. If somebody says to you, hey, does the Bible say you have to close your eyes and bow your head to pray? No. I'm pretty sure that was an invention of a third grade Sunday school teacher that said to the boys and girls, now let's put our hands together and bow our heads and close our eyes. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But is there anything equally wrong with lifting our hands, which is a biblical posture, or being on our faces, or being on our knees? No. All of those can and I hope do become postures of prayer that we practice routinely. So the more we repeat that, the more it becomes a part of the fabric of us. 
And there are things all of us know something about because we've studied and we pursue it and it's a passion. Might prayer and scripture be some of those things that bear the most fruit in us? And then last, duh, pray. Get yourself into the word and get the word into you. Now, I, I talk with tons of people through a given week, and I often get guys go, yeah, prayer is great. The reading of the Bible is great, but here's the honest answer. I read a book once, and I didn't like reading. So if you're not a reader, and the thought of reading this feels like torture, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, it will read to you. Isn't that phenomenal? And then the Word of God is filtering through our ears and our mind and into our heart. So how we get it there is less significant than the fact that we're getting it there. Now, my personal practice, this is Rick's. This is not a recipe. We have a screened porch, which when we bought that house six years ago, I thought was a dumb idea. Now it is one of my favorite places. The other morning it was raining, has a tin roof, and I'm sitting out there with my Bible. Used to be coffee. I'm doing that a little later in the morning. And my current practice, this is not a recipe. I've been reading the book of Mark one chapter at a time for a year. There's 16 chapters in the book of Mark. So I get to the end and I just start over. That has proven to be very rich for me. I don't know whether a year from now I'll still be doing that. And then I read a chapter in Psalms or Proverbs and I'm currently just kind of wandering through the New Testament somewhat systematically. But that's what works for me. Some of you, who I talked to a guy this last week that has to be work at 5 a.m., if I were opening my Bible at 4 a.m., I would be asleep. So if that's not your rhythm, don't do the guilt and shame thing, but find those rhythms and practices where we are praying, where you're praying, where I'm praying, and the Word of God begins to be in us more and more. Now, I do want to give a warning. If you're doing a search on Google or whatever your search engine of choice is, and you type in a bible thing, frequently the top three or four responses are going to be from the Mormon church. You want to be cautious that you are consuming truth, not someone's version of truth. Does that make sense? The same thing when you're buying a study Bible, somebody wrote those notes. So you want to make sure that whatever point of view or maybe bias is there isn't leading you away from what God's word actually says. Now, I really do wish we had time this morning to just say, everybody circle up with a few people and pray. We're not going to do that this morning. But I hope and encourage and sort of triple dog dare you that before the day's over, you do some of that. And God is not the Russian judge from the Olympics. So quit worrying about prayer needing to sound like a speech from Toastmasters. Oh, righteous Heavenly Father. That's a true statement. But it can flow completely out of our ego if we're not cautious. Some of you are the designated prayer for your family at holidays because I'm the preacher guy. They all turn and look at me. I'm my own crazy. I often want to go, anybody around this table can tell God, thank you for this food. Maybe I'll try that at Thanksgiving this year. I'm going to have laryngitis at Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> and someone at the table will think they're going to die. And I'm relatively confident no one has died from praying out loud. Now, you might feel like it, but it hasn't happened. So we come to the end of this teaching time, and always as a church, we're going to offer this prayer space over here. It's a decision space. I'm not 100% sure what happens over there. 
But if there's something stirring in you that you want somebody to pray with you that, you know, is over there willing to do that, it could be somebody sitting right next to you. While we're singing this next song, that song could become a prayer. And it might be that you go, man, I really know I need to be in the Word of God. Do not start at Genesis and try and go all the way through. Because by Leviticus, you might be a little suicidal. Not, not really, but maybe. Start in the book of John if you don't know where to start. And just trickle your way through the book of John because it tells us about Jesus' life and ministry. So whatever stirs in you, do it relentlessly until it's this easy and this much a part of you. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to stand and sing. No, we're not. I'm going to say, get out of here. I don't know what day it is. I'm praying. If you have a decision to make, you get it. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving crazy people, that we all participate in that. And thanks that crazy isn't a bad thing. It's just our human condition. And we're thankful that you love us in the midst of that. You've given us your word to help us navigate this world around us. You've given us the privilege of talking to you and we don't need a script. We don't need to write words. We can scream and holler and cry and be still and you hear all of that. So we celebrate you and what it means to be in relationship with you. And we ask these things in your name, in your power, and to your glory. Amen.